Welcome to the St. Paul's Episcopal Church podcast. Here, we will share our thoughts, voices, and prayers. St. Paul's is a progressive community of faith with ancient roots. You can find out more about St. Paul's at their website, stpauls.dioup.org, or find us on Facebook. If you would like to share your words on this podcast, send us a message. May God's peace be with you today and always. twice a week, 120. Words twice a week on Thursday, Friday, series of thoughts or questions from the lectionary text for the next Sunday. Um, third after Epiphany for today, that would be Psalm 19, Nehemiah 8, 1 to 3, 5 to 6, 8 to 10, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 31a, and Luke 14, Luke 4, 14 to 21. Um, works best probably if you've looked those over ahead of time or if you have them at hand to scan as we go along. <clears throat> and as always, the written copy of uh, Words Twice a Week is available at uh, wordstwiceaweek.blogspot.com. Psalm 19. The heavens are telling the glory of God. You can just hear the music swell. Verses 1 to 6 is about the creation, 7 to 11, celebrate the law, the word, 12 to 14, recognize that we don't know everything and thus need forgiveness. I'm not sure that's the attitude from which we usually pray, verse 14. Thomas Berry said something along the lines so that we have spent so much time and attention on the written, revealed word, i.e. the scriptures, that we ought to just put the Bible on the shelf for a couple of years and pay attention to the first created word, i.e. the creation. On the other hand, experience in the creation is not enough to know God and find the best abundant life. God has written a personal note to humanity. Note, Yahweh, personal name for God, Lord in the NRSV, is used six times in verse 7 to 9, no times, verse 1 to 6. How does it work to have speech without words? What do sun, day, night tell us about God? That God provides energy, a cycle of work and rest, day and night changes to provide weather? Someplace I wrote or read, how does the bridegroom leave his chamber? Lingeringly, wistfully, happily? Is he leaving his new wife behind and going to his daily work? Or is he leaving his chamber to head for hers? Nothing is hid from the heat of the sun. Is that a good thing? Does it suggest there really is a solar power option? And what about the animals that live 
deep underground. The law, the decrees, the prophets, different words for the same thing, basically. The law is a twofold function, one to warn, provide boundaries within which to safely live, a canopy under which to be safe, and two, rewards, not trophies or plaques, but the blessings of a life well lived. Hidden faults and presumptuous sins, risks or acts of courage, where would each of these fit in? Eating the apple, splitting the atom, cloning a cell, burning fossil fuels, gene manipulation, artificial intelligence. On verse 13, a quote here, the psalmist can be whole, perfect, blameless, because God is graceful. This abundant life results not from human achievement. Rather, it depends on God. To be perfect, blameless, whole is not to be sinless, but to live in dependence on God. It's from text for preaching. More valuable than gold, the most coveted metal in ancient times, sweeter than honey, their primary sweetener. Is that how we think about the scriptures? And what would be a most coveted something today? Platinum, titanium, rare earth metals, number of followers. What would be a primary sweetener? Maple syrup for me. Nehemiah 8, 1 to 3, 5 to 6, 8 to 10. The backstory here is that chapter 1 to 7 of Nehemiah have told about getting the wall built around Jerusalem. The wall would protect them from external threats, well, sort of, and now the law will protect them from internal and interior threats. And so I love this. First thing you do when there are gaps in the lesson is to look up and see what was left out or skipped over. Here, it's the names. Why does the lectionary committee want to leave these people anonymous? Who are these people? Who gets to be anonymous in our world? Disinformation or misinformation spreaders? Talkless filibusters? How is that a good thing? How is it not? Probably some kind of description of early worship here. And in fact, one of the first times that we experience the people reading words to hear God's voice. Pretty much always before it had just been someone talking. Now the words are written down and read out. We begin to look to the scriptures. It went on and on, early morning to midday. We get upset that the service goes much over an hour. There was a story in a youth ministry article once. Um, what's the biggest number you ever counted to? 12,785 or something like that. Why'd you stop? Church was over. Three issues um, here. It was communal experience, men, women, and children. Two, there was understanding. People used to say children shouldn't take communion until they could understand it, but I'm not sure the adults really understood it or what they would say if anyone asked them. And number three, it led to action as a result. The readers, lectors read from the book and the preacher interpreted what was said so that the people could understand and not just the meaning of the words but what the passage meant for them, for their day. It's not enough to read and even revere the scripture that must be taught and understood. The sermon does not just repeat the words of scripture. It applies, extends, explains, explicates, represents, that's why it's hard work. Special thanks to those who preach.
and time to pause and honor one of my preaching heroes, Fred Craddock, who championed the shift from deductive preaching, where the preacher explained everything, three points and a prayer or a poem, to inductive preaching, where the preacher leads the congregation on a journey of discovery. He was also a master of stories. He said to write, one, write down a story each day of something that you saw or experienced, put them in a notebook until the time comes when that story asks to be included in a sermon. Well, he was just really good at biblical interpretation and at preaching. <clears throat> so the church is over. Verse 10, he said to them, go and feast. Who was the he? Nehemiah, the governor, or Ezra, the priest? Heck, it's Nehemiah's book. We'll say it's him. But note that in verse 1 to 6, it's Ezra doing the talking. In verse 7, these other folks get involved. And in verse 9, Nehemiah, the governor, also gets into the act. Go home for Sunday dinner. Go hit the Sunday buffet. Boy, it's been a long time since we did that. The people were upset when they heard that God's word, what God's word was and what it said about who they were. But the leaders told them to be happy because of who God is. Does that work for us? We're upset when we see what life is, but we can rejoice because of who God is. In any case, the quintessential faith emotion is joy. What feeling, motion does our worship leave us with? And how can we send some of our feasts to those who don't have enough? Is that just food or other things as well? 1 Corinthians 12, 12-31a, Paul continuing his thoughts on spiritual gifts, gifts of grace, gifted people. Differences are not limitations or barriers, but a gift from God. How does diversity bless us? The diversity members need each other. The diverse members need each other. Who is someone different from you that you need their gift? There's no hierarchy of gifts or persons. Who do we sometimes think of as more important or less important? <clears throat> there should be mutual care instead of dissension and strife. A note to preachers, the imagery is enough. Don't let the preaching get in the way. That's from text for preaching again. And then these words of Paul, um, when taken seriously, keep the church from developing a cookie-cutter mentality. The missionary thinks everyone in the church should become a missionary, likewise the teacher, church musician, and so forth. We all live with the tyranny of the specialties, each of us looking at the whole through the lens of our particular gift, wondering why everyone doesn't aspire to it as we do. But should every person in the church be a teacher? Paul thinks not. His is not a monochrome vision of the church. That's all from preaching the New Common Lectionary. Kodachrome gives those nice bright colors. But then Paul throws out this curveball, strive for the greater gifts. What? Luke 4, 14, 21. Jesus in Nazareth. A little bit of backstory here, too. Both Matthew and Mark tell a similar story, but later on in their Gospels. Note that Luke is a little confusing here because the people in Nazareth ask about things Jesus did in Capernaum, but Luke hasn't told us about that yet. That comes up in verses 33 to 44. Is that a flashback? 
or has Luke created a different story order? Then note that Luke tells us what scripture Jesus read. It's a servant song from Isaiah. Matthew and Mark didn't have that. Putting all that together, some scholars think Luke has adapted and inserted this story at the beginning of Jesus' ministry as a kind of prologue, preview, programmatic narrative, foreshadowing what is to come for Jesus and for those who follow him. And note that this is just the first half of even the Nazareth event. Next week's lesson, verse 22 to 30, tells of the congregation's reaction. You probably don't need to look it up. As in Nehemiah, Jesus stands up, reads, sits, and teaches, gives the understanding. Jesus goes to the synagogue, it says, as was his custom. One, he was firmly within his Jewish tradition. He was a reformer, not a revolutionary. Then two, he fulfilled his stewardship of presence pledge. With apologies to the folks who are working this weekend to put out the messenger, there was a story about the non-attender who ran into the minister downtown. He said, I don't know why you mail out that newsletter. It doesn't seem very significant or substantial. Theirs was not at all like the messenger. The minister said, what? You think we send the good stuff out to just anybody? No, you got to get up and get dressed and show up at church on Sunday morning. That's when we hand out the good stuff. Thoughts on that? Jesus says today, Fred Craddock says, don't turn it into a vague, distant someday. The someday of hope is the today of fulfillment. And finally, these words from uh, Martin Luther King Jr. One day, youngsters will learn words they will not understand. Children from India will ask, what is hunger? Children from Alabama will ask, what is racial segregation? Children from Hiroshima will ask, what is the atomic bomb? Children at school will ask, what is war? And you will answer them. You will tell them those words are not used anymore, like stagecoaches, galleys, or slavery. Words no longer meaningful. That is why they have been removed. Someday? Today? Hmm. That's what I got for now.